<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hey friends, thanks for joining a podcast. I want to tell you about something really new and exciting called Patreon.com slash BP Show. It's a great way to get uh, exclusive interviews with newsmakers, voicemails, personalized videos, political commentary, and early access to a special podcast called The Making of Bernie Sanders. Go to patreon.com slash bpshow, patreon.com slash bpshow. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Hurricane Harvey having walloped Texas for five days moves on to Louisiana to wreak wreck even more havoc, havoc there. Good morning, everybody. What do you say? It is on a Wednesday, Wednesday, August 30. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. This is the Bill Press Show. You're part of it, and uh, we welcome you to the program as we hopscotch across the uh, globe and bring you up to date on all the news of the day, whether it's coming from our nation's capital right here in Washington, D.C. That's where you find us, right on Capitol Hill in the heart of the action. Uh, Not a lot happening here. More happening, of course, uh, down in uh, Houston and now in Louisiana. Uh, We will bring you up to date on all the latest there. Uh, Donald Trump making his visit to Corpus Christi and to Austin uh, yesterday, where he seemed to be more excited about the size of the crowds that came out to see him uh, than the victims of the hurricane. In fact, he never said one word, uh, never expressed one word of empathy or sympathy for the victims. He just talked about how big the crowds were and how big the hurricanes were. That's just one of our top stories today. Uh, Sarah Palin lost a battle with the New York Times. A judge threw out her lawsuit against the New York Times. Uh, yes, more reaction to North Korea's missile that uh, that they launched uh, yesterday that uh, flew over Japan before falling into the Pacific. And maybe the biggest story of all, Sean Spicer finally got to see the Pope. No thanks to Donald Trump but he can scratch that off his bucket list. All of that we will tell you about and look forward to hearing from you. You know how to do it. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We dive in with both feet, but first. This is the Full Court Press. Just a couple of other stories for you on this, what is it, Wednesday? It is a Wednesday. Goodness. Middle of the week. It's been moving so fast. All right, here we go. So uh, you remember back in May, Bill, when Ben Jacobs, a reporter for The Guardian, was body slammed. uh, Uh, By uh, Mr. Gianforte. That's correct. Greg Gianforte, uh, who is now a congressman. Of course. Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, He is now serving in the U.S. Congress. Uh, Ben Jacobs is trying to get a follow-up interview with Congressman Gianforte. However, uh, he is getting... Bodyguard. Bodyguard, right. He is getting no response from Gianforte's team. Ben Jacobs quoted late last night in refusing to do the promise on the record interview with me 
Congressman Gianforte continues his pattern of avoiding responsibility for his actions and refusing to live up to the standards made in what I had thought was a sincere apology. You may remember Gianforte took a little while, but yeah. did offer a pretty genuine apology for what he did. I think he had to do some anger management classes, too. I, Yeah, that's right. That's right. And um, I believe that Ben Jacobs' glasses are in these museum that's right yeah it's uh it's a, a part of journalistic uh history right there right. so uh hopefully ben jacobs <laughs> does get that interview after all greg gianforte should not be hiding especially now that he is serving in the u.s congress uh news over the pond across the pond uh sky news has announced that they will be taking fox news off the air in the united kingdom after 15 years yeah sky yeah. news of course syndicates many uh, American networks, Fox News, the right-wing U.S. channel being one of them. Now, there could be a couple of different reasons for this. Karen Bradley, the culture secretary over in the U.K., is going to return to her, her verdict on whether uh, the competition regulator to launch an investigation into the Murdoch's adherence to broadcasting standards in the U.K. Uh, Fox is taking over Sky. Uh, however, it has not yet been approved. Mm, yeah. Murdoch insists that this is just about viewership. He says that they only get 2,000 viewers a day in the UK. Do you believe that, Bill? Fox News? Yeah. News? He said 2,000 no. viewers a day. No. That seems very small. Yeah, I don't believe that. But it is strange. I mean, I used to do Sky News every once in a while, and it always bothered me that to do Sky News, I had to show up at the Fox News Bureau. It's weird. It's really, really weird. Thank you, Kenny. On your radio, on TV, and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Wednesday, August 30. Hello, everybody. Hurricane Harvey's had enough with Texas, has moved on now. It's the people of Louisiana that have to deal with it uh, in a somewhat weakened form, but still a very deadly and very dangerous uh, hurricane and tropical storm combined. Hello, everybody. Great to see you on this Wednesday, August 30. Thank you so much for joining us. It is the Bill Press Show. You are a part of it. We look forward to hearing from you about the news of the day. Again, we always tell you that's our job to tell you the news of the day. Your job to respond and tell us what you think about what's going on, what it means to you uh, and to your family and to your community. We're coming to you from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Uh, kind of quiet. Yep, the uh, president is back in town after his trip to Texas yesterday, but House and the Senate are still out of town as well as most lobbyists and hangers-on here in Washington, D.C. But we're here for you, with you, to bring you the news of the day from Washington, from Texas, Louisiana, from around the country, and around the globe. Joining you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, and uh, joining you, of course, on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, as well as out in the Chicago area on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of the Chicago uh, area. Uh, and um, where do we start today? Uh, let's back up here and get away from the news for just a minute. Um, we uh, cons consider all of you family, all of you uh, who uh, join us every day listening or watching the show. Uh, and so we want to start with a, an important piece of family news today. Uh, those of you who watch and listen every day might have noticed that um, our executive producer, Peter Ogburn, has not been with us the last couple of days. 
Uh, we wish we could tell you that Peter is taking an end of the summer uh, vacation and having fun somewhere. Sadly, that is not the case. Uh, we want you to know that uh, Peter had a very serious medical scare over the weekend. Uh, he ended up having emergency open-heart surgery on Sunday uh, at uh, one of Washington's very, very best hospitals. But we want to hasten to assure you that Peter is doing very well. Uh, he's ca- he came through the surgery with flying colors. Uh, the doctors are amazed at how well he is doing, how fast he is bouncing back, uh, and are, they've told us, 100% confident of a full and uh, total recovery. Uh, And we can tell you, uh, Jamie Benson, our partner Paul Woodhall and I have been uh, at the hospital uh, every day. We saw Peter yesterday afternoon. Uh, He was in fine form, uh, uh, totally, totally there, if you will, totally Peter, uh, joking with us, laughing with us, um, missing all of you. uh, And uh, we might even say as ornery as ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, yeah, uh, sort of classic uh, Peter Ogburn, but it's going to be it's going to be a long haul. It's going to be a long recovery. Uh, in the meantime, we will uh, limp through without Peter as best that we can. But we certainly miss him, and we know that. But again, we want you to know that though he is in the best possible hands. He's got the best medical care you could get uh, anywhere in the country. He's surrounded by friends. Uh, his wife Lucinda, who's not left his side. His sons. Uh, Gray and Magnus and uh, and tons of friends, so uh, we'll watch over him very very carefully. Bring you updates uh, as often as we can, and we know that many of you would want to reach out to uh, Peter, uh, our colleague and our friend. Uh, and the way to do so is just send us uh, send your comments and your good thoughts to Peter uh, on Twitter, uh, as you do for the show on Twitter at BP Show. And we will certainly relay them to Peter. We know he'll be very, very happy to uh, to hear from you. Uh, and so all of our good thoughts uh, for Peter Ogburn. We know that he'll be back in action as soon as the doctors will permit him to do so. And knowing Peter, he will probably insist on doing it a lot sooner than <laughs> that. So. By the way, Bill, I you know I, I I'm going to tell he you he was I'm, in good form yesterday. He was in great form yesterday. It was incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've seen him now three days. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess two days. We've we've been there for three days. The first day, you know, obviously it's it was tough. It was really really tough. I'll say. But yesterday was um is remarkable. Um, the improvement that that he's seen, and and I expect him to to move forward. We expect him to move forward today and tomorrow. The day after that. Uh, I will tell you, he you, should be out of ICU today, yes, which is a great sign. Huge step, and remarkable recovery. I mean, he's he's strong, he's healthy, he exercises, you know, keeps himself in good shape. That's that's really helped. He's young, yes, uh, and uh, so he's got all of that. He's got all of that going for him. Of course, we gave him hell that he missed a couple of days. Oh my goodness, uh, yeah, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, what the. By the way, I have a plan for, so if you're going to send us your tweets, yes. <clears throat> I encourage you to send us tweets about Peter. He'll want to see them. We may read some of them on, on air later in the day. However, what I'm going to do, Bill, is I'm going to print out the tweets and surround them with a picture of Alex Jones, <laughs> Peter Ogburn's favorite media personality. Uh, maybe we'll hear from Alex. We, we may hear from Alex. He may yeah, have some right. well wishes. Uh, he may have some conspiracy theories as well, but hopefully some well wishes. I'm going to take... That picture of Alex Jones with your tweets to Peter today at the hospital to send us your tweets. We want to hear uh, what you're thinking about. I don't know. Be careful. That may set him back. It might. It might. (laughs) All right. Anyhow. Well, we wanted you to know that again. Uh, We all consider you a family. Uh, And we are family here at the Bill Press Show. Uh, In fact, Peter and I 
uh, launched the show 12 years ago. So, um, Peter. That's right. This is 12 years this 12 summer, years. right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, Peter, get your ass back here as fast as you can. We know that you will. On to the news of the day. Yes, indeed. Uh, it is Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Harvey all the time. I'm supposed to do another show on CNN yesterday. It was canceled because of hurricane coverage. Uh, and we know the situation down in uh, Houston. Uh, the rains have let off a little bit, uh, but that doesn't mean that they are out of danger. Not so, uh, not at all. The uh, death toll across Texas now, and particularly that part of Texas, uh, now at 22, uh, including one Houston police officer, uh, Steve Perez, who uh, was on his way uh, to work. His wife said, no, you'll never get there. He said, no, I'll find a way to get there. Uh, this is my job. i got to be there. Uh, and sadly, uh, his car was swamped uh, in one of the roads leading into Houston, and they re- recovered his body from his police car uh, yesterday morning. Um, there, The situation there, some 12,000 people have sought refuge. Uh, many, many more have fled the area. The Houston Convention Center, 9,000 people uh, in there on cots um, and um, being well taken care of. This is not the Superdome like we saw with Katrina, but still uh, a very tough situation. 9,000 is double the capacity of, of, of what that hall can, uh, can hold. The mayor of uh, Houston yesterday, Sylvester Turner, saying uh, that it looks like we've, we, we can see now that the rains will be ending. Based on what we're getting from the National Weather Service and the news reports, uh, the end of the rain may be in sight. But, the mayor warns, uh, the end of the rain does not mean the end of the flooding. We're not done with the flooding, even if the skies are clear. Because, as we know, uh, not only have the rivers and the creeks overflowed, but uh, uh, reservoirs have as well, and in a couple of cases, they had to release water from reservoirs in order to, um, in order to save the dams that were that were holding uh, the flood the flood waters back. Um, and on in the middle of all of this, of course, uh, Donald Trump takes his visit to yesterday his visit yesterday to uh, uh, not to Houston but to Corpus Christi first, and then to Austin. And what everybody remarked is for Donald Trump, and this is the first real test of his presidency, if you will, responding to a crisis like this, a natural disaster. You got to say, uh, giving credit where credit is due, uh, he gave the direction to the federal agencies, and I believe FEMA has responded heroically um, with uh, the, under the direction of uh, Brock Long. They've been working with the state government and the and the local agencies who seem to be, on, uh, every, from everything we can see, are doing everything they can uh, to rescue people, to get things, get things to t- deal with the, the crisis and to get things back to normal. And in the middle of it, Donald Trump shows up, I mean, as if he's going to another campaign rally. So he leaves the meeting in the first meeting in Corpus Christi, walks out of the building and notices there are a lot of people there across the street because it's President of the United States shows up. How often do you get to see the beast and that whole entourage and that whole motorcade? Uh, we see it here in Washington many times, but I remember in California, first time I, I, I was ever near a presidential motorcade, going out of my way just to see that. So a crowd of curious uh, uh, had gathered, and Donald Trump right away sees an opportunity, hops up on top of a fire truck, and what does he talk about? He talks about the size of the crowd. Thank you, everybody. What a crowd. What a turnout. 
Yeah, what a crowd. What a turnout. Bragging about the size of the crowd, just like he's been bragging for days about the size of the hurricane. What uh, about an inappropriate time to do something like this? No, I mean, you could not be, could not be more inappropriate. And then he picks up a, 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 a flag of Texas and is waving it to the crowd. We love you, he says. We love you. We love you. You are special. We're here to take care. It's going well. And I want to thank you for coming out. We're going to get you back and operating immediately. Yeah. Side of the crowd, we love you. Thank you for coming out. And then he starts, he even starts and then holds himself, starts congratulating everybody as if they're out of the woods yet. We won't say congratulations. We don't want to do that. We don't want to congratulate. We'll congratulate each other when it's all finished. But he does congratulate the director of FEMA. What for? Not so, not for the job that he's doing, but because he looks good on television. A man who's really become very famous on television over the last couple of days, Mr. Long. We appreciate it very much. You have been just outstanding. Yeah, just like, remember he said he wouldn't fire Sean Spicer. Couldn't fire Sean Spicer because he gets good ratings in the afternoon. Sebastian Gorka, he loved him. Loved him. Didn't matter what he said. He just looked so good on television. That's that's what it's all about for Donald Trump. So he turned turned yesterday into a campaign event. And again, bragging, if you will, about the size of the hurricane. Epic, epic, epic is the word that he keeps using. This was of epic proportion. Nobody's ever seen anything like this. Epic. No, you know what? Stop using that word. The word is not epic. The word is catastrophic. And the one thing that was missing yesterday, notice, Donald Trump in Texas, Corpus Christi, and then to Austin, meeting with all these people, bragging about the size of the crowd, bragging about the size of the hurricane, bragging about the job they had done, Donald Trump said not one word about the victims, not one syllable about the people who had lost their lives, including the police officer Steve Perez, not one word about the people who had lost their homes, lost their businesses, lost their loved ones, lost their pets, not one word about these people who are going to have to rebuild from scratch, who are wiped out. Not one word of empathy or sympathy from the President of the United States, again, as if this was just another campaign junket for Donald Trump. Even former Press Secretary Ari Fleischer for George W. Bush, Republican, remarked there was something missing from the president's uh, visit yesterday. I was with President Bush when he went to see the devastation caused by fires in uh, Missouri and Arizona and tornadoes in Missouri. And there was something missing from what President Trump said. I hope he will say it later today. But that's the empathy for the people who suffer. Uh, that was, my opinion, should have been the first thing he should have said was that his heart goes out to those people in Houston who are going through this and that the government is here. Yeah. Now, you know, I'm sure Donald Trump felt that. I'm sure he feels that empathy, but never expressed it. Not a word. Not a word. It was, it was you know, with his hat on, USA, that all it was was, again, bragging about the job he's done, the job FEMA's doing, the size of the hurricane, and the size of the crowd that came out to get him. Just totally, totally uh, inappropriate. And look, I don't want to accuse of being sexist here, but if you're talking about inappropriate, 
yesterday, you've got to include the First Lady of the United States who walks out of the White House to go to the flood zone, to this disaster zone, in snakeskin stiletto heels, the highest heels that you could possibly have. She looked like she was, I mean, she looked great, looked like a million dollars. Sure. But, you know, Jesus, I got to tell you, Laura Bush, Hillary Clinton, Michelle Obama, they would have come out, you know, with a pair of sneakers or something like that, right? Well, or at least some, just some comfortable. And she comes out with the highest fashion possible. Total, total inappropriate, total out of line. But there's a level of humility that should be involved, uh, no matter well, who you are or, in a situation like this. Or maybe this. just comfort. Sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know I, I'm I mean? sure she changed when she got off the plane. Okay. That's, you know, we'll, we'll, I, I'm not sure of that. I don't know. Either way. I, Either yeah. way, I think the, the bottom line here is is that Donald Trump and maybe Melania Trump as well were purely concerned about the optics when they made this trip to Texas. From the hat that said, you know, he had a USA hat yeah. on that was big right. as hell. Right. He had a, a, a name card when he was sitting around with all the administrators where the president, the font was 10 times bigger than everybody else's name tags. She had the Flotus hat on. They looked ridiculous. And, and all he wanted was a hero's welcome. You know, people chanting USA, USA, Trump, Trump, Trump. That's all he cared about. No empathy. Right, right, right. But, you know, again, on the optics, if they were really thinking about the optics, they would have put on a comfortable pair of shoes. I mean, she looked like she was walking into the inaugural ball, right, rather than on her way uh, to the uh, to, to view the, pardon me, the devastation uh, from Hurricane Harvey. Uh, and now uh, the hurricane has moved on, of course, uh, pummeling Louisiana, uh, where uh, uh, more flooding uh, and more damage, of course, uh, we can expect today. And we'll bring you up to date on that uh, as we go along. Uh, the sh- uh, final word, I guess, on Harvey is that this now the focus is soon going to shift to the Congress, where in addition to already having a lot of battles about um, getting uh, um, keeping government running, uh, raising the debt ceiling, and keeping the government running, two issues, all about money, all about spending priorities. Uh, up until this time, the big issue was, would Donald Trump shut down the government because he didn't get funding for his wall? Uh, now, on top of funding for Donald Trump's wall is going to be billions and billions of dollars uh, to for the recovery from Hurricane Harvey, uh, and it's going to be interesting to see what the conservative Republicans who refused to uh, appropriate additional money to deal with Hurricane Sandy will do about Hurricane Harvey. As we told you yesterday, among those who voted against uh, funding to for New Jersey, Delaware, New York, uh, mid-Atlantic states uh, hammered by Hurricane Sandy, among those who voted against it were all the Republicans from Texas. Chris Christie took them on, uh, but yesterday, Ted Cruz and John Cornyn both responded and said, no, here's why we voted no. Ted Cruz first. The problem with that particular bill is it became a $50 billion bill that was filled with unrelated pork. Two-thirds of that bill had nothing to do with Sandy. That's what he says. John Cornyn singing the same tune. To be accurate, I voted for $23.8 billion in Sandy funding. The reason I voted against the larger bill is because it included other things that weren't Sandy Superstorm related. Well, uh, what about that, Chris Christie? He appeared actually on not on Fox News last night on MSNBC 
with uh, Chris Hayes saying they're lying through their teeth. What was wrong was for Ted Cruz to exploit the disaster for political gain, and that's what he was doing. Um, the fact of the matter is that is an absolute falsehood that two-thirds of the $50 billion did not go to Sandy Aid. It's an absolute falsehood. It was untrue when it was said then. And Chris Christie said, and you know what? I said at the time, someday it's going to be Texas's turn. Let's remember what Senator Cruz was trying to do at the time. He was trying to be the most conservative, the most fiscally conservative person in the world. And what I said at the time, as you might recall, is someday it's going to come to Texas. Right. It just does. If you if you have a coastal area, whether it's on the Gulf Coast, the Atlantic and Pacific Coast, a disaster is going to come to you. And when it does, I'm going to promise him that New Jersey Congress people will stand up and do the right thing. Stand up and do the right thing. Good for Chris Christie. Every once in a while he shows a little spunk and uh, and uh, says the right thing. And he's he's absolutely right on in this. It was pure politics at the time for Republicans to refuse to put money forth for Hurricane Sandy. And you know why they did it? Because President Obama wanted it. That was the beginning of anything Obama wants. Right. We're against. Even relief for the hurricane victims uh, of Hurricane Sandy. Uh, they were playing politics then. Let's hope Republicans and Democrats, I'm sure Democrats will not, play politics when it comes to Hurricane Harvey. You know, Chris Christie has plenty of faults. Uh, you know, quite honestly, he just a couple of weeks ago uh, now has the lowest approval uh, rating of any governor in the country. Um, and the one thing you can say about Chris Christie that you cannot say about Ted Cruz is that when things like this happen that are truly bipartisan, politics should really be set aside. Chris Christie does the right thing. However, when you think about Ted Cruz, every time that he makes the news, yeah. he's always the villain. Always. Yeah. No, and he play, uh, and he plays uh, exploits every every possible situation for uh, for political gain. We have a great lineup of guests for you today. Robinson Meyer is going to join us first from the Atlantic. Dr. Julianne Malvo will be here as a friend of Bill for the entire second hour, uh, and Alan Pike from Think Progress will be joining us as well. And there are uh, other items in the news we want to touch on uh, very briefly before we bring Robinson Meyer in. Um, in North Korea, still a lot of reaction uh, regarding the latest missile strike. Remember, it was last Friday, uh, that um, Thursday or Friday, that Donald Trump said he respects the fact that now North Korea respects us because they know that um, we will not tolerate uh, any more missile rattling uh, on the part of the North Koreans. Since that time, since Donald Trump says, we know now that they're listening to us, that they're holding back. Since that time, in the last three days, North Korea has fired off four more missiles, uh, in, just to show Donald Trump we don't give a damn what you say, uh, including one that flew over Japan. Uh, Donald Trump responding yesterday by once again saying, everything is on the table, including uh, a possible um, U.S. military preemptive strike uh, against North Korea, uh, ra once again ratcheting up the tension in that part of the world uh, and um, ignoring what a lot of people have said is the, the need to get all parties at the table again. Instead, Donald Trump um, seems content with just trying to scare the hell out of North Korea and the world by threatening military action. Sarah Palin got a little setback yesterday. Uh, she had sued the New York Times, saying the New York Times had defamed her uh, in an editorial where she read it to say that she was partly responsible 
for the uh, attack on Congresswoman Gabby Giffords uh, a few years ago uh, because of this map that she had put up with uh, crosshairs crosshairs Mm -hmm. on various congressional sites around the country, one of which was in Arizona. Uh, The judge yesterday saying, uh, no, there was no evidence of uh, actual malice on the part of the New York Times. In fact, the New York Times had uh, corrected that. If anybody got the wrong impression from that editorial, they had issued immediately issued a correction saying that was not their intent at all. Uh, so the judge saying there was no defamation, no actual malice, Sarah Palin lawsuit thrown out of court. Donald Jr. Ah, haven't heard from him for a little bit. He's been lying low ever since news of the uh, big meeting with the Russian uh, representatives from the Kremlin at Trump Tower in June 2016. It was reported yesterday that uh, Donald Trump Jr. has agreed to testify in in private behind closed doors uh, in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. We don't have a date yet. He's already turned over a lot of documents about that meeting. Uh, but again, just like evidence earlier in the week of the meeting in January, 20, of the conversations in January 2016 uh, between the president's lawyer, Michael Cohn, and representatives of the Kremlin over building the big Trump Tower in Moscow. Now again, uh, this, uh, this story of all, all these myriad, multiple connections between the Trump campaign and the Kremlin continue to, uh, continue to drop one by one by one almost every day. It seems another shoe falls. So the latest we're going to be hearing, well, at least Senate members of the Senate Judiciary Committee, hearing from Donald Trump Jr. soon uh, behind closed doors about what that meeting was all about. Uh, in a very significant move, the defense secretary, John Mattis, has said, yes, President uh, Trump did issue a memorandum telling us basically that we're going to have to dismiss all transgender Americans who are now serving in the military uh, and throw them out of the military and not allow any transgender Americans who want to serve to join any of the armed forces. Uh, rather than stand up and salute the president, salute the commander-in-chief yesterday, to his credit, I believe, Defense Secretary John Mattis says, well, we're just going to put that directive on hold for a while. We're just going to put it on ice, and we're going to appoint a panel to study this whole problem to study this whole question about the role of transgender Americans, and then we'll decide what we're going to do. Again, this is a cabinet member openly defying an order of the president of the United States and doing the right thing, just like I believe Rex Tillerson did the right thing, refusing to defend Donald Trump's comments on Charlottesville on Sunday. But you got those two cabinet members now, two cabinet members in just three days who have said no we don't agree with the president, and we're not going to do what he tells us. I believe one of our guests mentioned this on the That's show incredible. earlier this week, but Jim Mattis was was overseas. They, they don't know where the video the came Jim from. Jim John, I might have said that. Jim Mattis, Jim Mattis, yeah. Sorry. Uh, I, I think he was in Jordan <laughs> last week, and this video popped up on oh, Facebook. Yeah. Him yeah. talking to the troops saying, right. quote, our country right now, it's got problems we don't have in the military. You just hold the line, talking right. to the troops, until our country gets back to understanding and respecting each other and showing it. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and finally, yes, uh, Sean Spicer. Oh, good old Sean. Yep. He crossed one item off his bucket list. He got to meet the Pope. When he was there in May with Donald Trump, Donald Trump did not invite him uh, with his little group of uh, family uh, or staffers to meet the Pope, even though Sean Spicer is an ardent, devout Catholic. 
Uh, but he ended up in Italy with a little delegation of uh, members of Congress, and he was able to get in and have his time. Um, uh, um, um, I don't. Yes. Yes, Sean. He did. <laughs> now he did. All right. Yes. How about it? Robinson Meyer. What's the connection? Is there any between uh, Hurricane Harvey and climate change? Well, Donald Trump will never admit it. Let's get the truth from Robinson Meyer from The Atlantic on that and other issues coming up. What was wrong was for Ted Cruz to exploit the disaster for political gain. And that's what he was doing. Get social with Bill Press. Like us at Facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Here we go now on this Wednesday, August 30. Uh, Great to see you today. Again, thank you so much for joining us. We are uh, here in Washington, D.C. on Capitol Hill, just down the street from uh, the United States Capitol building. And uh, we are brought to you today by the Laborers International Union of North America under the leadership of President Terry O'Sullivan, members of the Laborers Union who are bigger and stronger than ever before. They've had a record surge of new members this year. We're proud to tell you uh, we all live better because of their good work, Building America. That's their website, Liuna, L-I-U-N-A, Builds America, liunabuildsamerica.org. Check it out, and we thank them for their great work and their support of the program. And welcome to the program, Robinson Meyer from The Atlantic, staff writer and good friend who is... uh, his beat is uh, climate change, uh, among others, uh, which is a very much uh, a important issue to talk about today. Hi, Robinson. Hey, hey, thank you for having Great me. Great to As see always. you. Great to see you. Before we get into that, at the top of the program, we did mention uh, to all of our friends uh, watching and listening today, uh, the latest on Peter Ogburn, who uh, had emergency open heart surgery on Sunday. He's doing very well. We saw him yesterday. Uh, he's got a long recovery, but he's going to be back stronger than ever. Uh, and we mentioned to you, if you want to send a message to uh, Peter, uh, the way to do so is um, just like your uh, tweeter, tweets to us, at BP Show. Jamie, what do we hear? Got a couple of comments on Twitter and in the chat room. We'll start with Twitter. Now, Jessica- be kind, you know what I mean, because... The, yeah, there's there's not too much uh, sniping. Yeah. Oh, just all right, okay. Uh, just <laughs> our friend Jessica Feely from the great state of Maine, she says, wishing Peter an epic, in quotations, recovery. Oh, oh I like that, yeah. bigly return. I yes. believe it's Big League, by the way. Uh, she says to me, bring him some ice cream and you know the flavor, Jessica from Caribou. It's grape nut ice cream, by the way. Captain Facepalm on Twitter says, wishing rapid healing and comfort to Peter Ogburn. Someone has to keep BP show under control. <laughs> yeah, I've been having trouble with we that. We are out week. of control uh, right now. Right, uh, Spidey13, this is probably my favorite on Twitter so far. Holy crap, Peter was greatly concerned until I heard from Alex Jones that you are a paid actor and BP show is a hoax. <laughs> this is true. This is I can't deny that. Uh, and one from the uh, the YouTube uh, chat room here. Let's see. Uh, Ivan says, "I'm smoking a fatty right oh. now. Wake and bake." That's to Peter. He says, "I'll smoke a, a fatty for you." That's from Cajun Aggie. So well, there you uh, go. That will be uh, we we know one of the prime motivations for Peter 
to get out of the hospital and get better <laughs> and get away from the doctors and the nurses. I don't know they if he'll be, be doing that smoker. after that, but yes, yes, he's doing very well. So I'm sure he's. I know to get he out. won't be doing it in the hospital. No. So, no. Uh, well, that's true. No, I don't know. Nothing's that. off take, limits for Peter. I take that back. Uh, thanks, thanks for your comments. We'll share them with Peter. And, later and today. Yeah, let me just add, get well soon, Peter, as well. Yeah, That's absolutely. Really yeah. scary. Yeah, we'll pass that on. Medicine. Yeah. Uh, so it, it does, some people have said that, and, and the governor of Texas used this phrase, the new normal uh, for Harvey. Uh, he meant that this is kind of the new normal, for, I guess, for the people of Texas. But is this the new normal for hurricanes? Are we going to see more hurricanes like this? And what is there any, can you certified connection to climate change? I think, um, you know, it's always funny. I was talking to a climate scientist last night and I was like, well, I've been writing Harvey stories for the past few days. And he said, oh, so they went something like, well, we can't talk about one storm being connected to climate change. And it was like, yep, that's right. So I think um, we there are, you know, as always, uh, it's it's a little hard to say that one <laughs> storm has been affected or unaffected by climate change. Um, there are ways that Harvey... But at the same time, you know, if the climate's changing, it affects everything happening on the planet. So, uh, you know, there are clearly Harvey has been is a different storm in some ways than we might expect to see in a in a normal in a normal world. Um, there's a lot of ways in which Harvey, I, I should just say this first out, has been bad that would be very hard to tie to climate change. Um, it's been so devastating because it got it basically rolled over Houston and then it stalled out and then since it was just sitting there it was able to move, you know pick up hot water from the ocean mm -hmm. move it around dump it on Houston and be, yeah. just be this big yeah. conveyor belt in the sky um, that's because of its storm track uh, and because of how far high pressure systems are from it um, like other high pressure systems in the atmosphere uh, it's possible that there might be some climate effect there, but it would take a long time to be able to figure out what that is. Well, but they, they say now, uh, you know, and and Donald Trump says, epic storm. Right? Yes, we've yes. Never, there's never been a meteorologist. And the U.S. Weather Service said they've never seen a storm dump this much rainfall in the history of the United States. Exactly. Right? There have been, this is the third 500-year storm in the last three years exactly. to hit Houston. Right. I mean, there's got to be something going on here. And I think there and I think that's when you start to get into play to 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 questions that that are much closer to climate change and that really seem to have a climate, you know, fingerprint. Um, to the the two things that I've been thinking about are first of all, Harvey intensified super quickly. So Harvey um, it was a tropical storm I think on Wednesday night of last week by Friday night when it made landfall it was a category 4 hurricane and it and it even intensified far beyond what the right. forecast said and usually said. it's the opposite right? right they they diminish in strength as they get closer to landfall exactly exactly and so <laughs> and and they diminish in strength because uh you know when a hurricane gets strong enough the winds start to churn up the ocean and hurricanes feed off like warm sea surface temperatures yeah and as the winds get stronger, they churn up the ocean and you get colder water from the bottom kind of rising up and that winds up dampening the hurricane. So the hurricanes like have a kind of natural damper on them. Right. Um, the water in the Gulf of Mexico. With Harvey, it didn't happen. It didn't right? happen, exactly. And and it did churn up water, but the water 100 or 200 meters down was, was much warmer, warmer than average. Because of climate, climate change. change. Sure, it seems like it, yeah, exactly. And, and so because of that, 
there was this just huge intensification as it made landfall. And that's exactly, I mean, if there's a paper earlier this year by Carrie Emanuel, who's a uh, professor at MIT, who basically says hurricanes will be harder to predict in climate change because they'll intensify rapidly toward landfall. And he just talks about like theoretical cases and, and a few recent cases where other hurricanes strengthened really rapidly before making landfall. Um, Hurricane Patricia two years ago in Mexico is one of these. But that's, you know, there's a paper about this being something we'd see in climate change, and then it just happened with Harvey. Um, and the second thing is that, you know, Houston has seen all these floods lately. Mm-hmm. And there have been massive floods kind of across, actually, the Gulf Coast and across the Atlantic Coast in the past five years. Um, and, and, and floods that seem to exceed the 100-year, 500-year measuring stick that FEMA and the federal government use. And when you have that many floods... In, in a short period of time and that many floods of like shocking scale um, and length and duration and uh, breadth, then it, you know, that's when you're looking at something climate related. Uh, I, I read an article um, a couple of days ago by, uh, I forget what meteorologist who said, Hurricane Harvey is the face of climate change the face of climate change for a world that has failed to take climate change seriously. Yes, precisely. I think it was Eric Holthouse at Politico, oh, okay. who's great. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's completely, that, that's what you I've been thinking about, too. I do. You know, the idea that Hurricane Harvey <laughs> is what climate change looks like, that it's these big floods that come out of nowhere. It's a rapidly intensifying hurricane that we aren't as good at predicting as we would have hoped. Um, it's It's... Uh, having this huge warm water conveyor belt um, that winds up, you know, deluging a city and kind of stopping it in its tracks. Those are all, um, and it's, by the way, like the fact that in Houston, they've built in floodplains. And not only have they built in floodplains, but they've built in reservoirs. Like you, there are houses that will be underwater for two to three months because they've built in reservoirs. All these ways that we've just like taken managing extreme weather and managing the fallout from hurricanes and managing climate change not seriously this is kind of what the world will look like well uh, yeah i was going to i'm glad you went there i was going to ask you about that because it's not directly related to climate change but um so in california head of an environmental organization uh one of our big issues was land use policy yeah and i was working for jerry brown and as the extreme example of poor land use planning, we always talked about Houston. Right. And Houston brags itself on being where there are no no rules. Right. right? Anything goes. There was no zoning. Yeah. You could build anything anywhere. Yeah. And the consequence of that was a lot of people end up building in floodplains or, you know, right, places you knew were not safe and were going to to flood out. So we're also, they're also suffering the results of that. Exactly. Right. 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 I think that's, and 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 the the shocking thing to me is, uh, you know, you can be on board with some level of land use deregulation. I think, but Houston built in, you know, that's that's one thing. That's a whole policy thing. Houston built in reservoirs. I don't understand <laughs> so, that. How can they build in a reservoir? Basically, there are these big. There are big. They're called dry reservoirs. Oh, dry. Yeah. And they are designed. They look like parks. <laughs> They would optimally look like parks. So they're like we would call it a floodplain. We would we would call it a right. floodplain, except they're they're artificial. 
Yeah. And they are yeah. specifically designed to for overflow. For overflow to yeah. handle. Uh, you, right. you know, you, there's a it, big area south of Sacramento between Davis and Sacramento, California. Uh, the Yolo Bypass, I think it's called, or something like that. But mm-hmm. it, it just looks like uh, open fields yeah. most of the year. And yeah. then in winter, it's a lake. Yeah. Right, right, right. Exactly. I mean, it was. it's like building in... And they were building in those reservoirs. Yeah, right. No, no, no. I mean, it's like insane. there's a, a runoff. It's like the runoff uh, lakes that form on the side of highways. Yeah. It's yeah, like exactly. building a house there. You know, like that's that's the kind of level of... Of planning that was going on, so I think I I will be curious at the end of this. I mean, there will be houses that will be underwater for two or three months because there's nowhere else for the water to go, and because it's supposed to sit in the reservoirs anyway. And whether there is there are houses there um, after the end will be interesting to see. So, is there any for those who um, uh, supported withdrawing? From Paris, <laughs> uh, those uh, climate change deniers, is there any hope that once you see the uh, destruction uh, as a result of Hurricane Harvey and the likelihood that there will be even more and storms like that, if not, and pro- probably worse, that people will say, well, maybe we ought to do something about climate change? I, I, I think it would be it gonna take? to see. Yeah, I think what's it going to take is a really... Uh, uh, the, always the question. Um, there's some research about polling that suggests, and I, I'm not as far into this as I wish I was, but um, when I've talked to folks at Yale who do climate polling, they say extreme weather actually doesn't move the needle particularly on public opinion um, because it just repolarizes people. Um, and that what does move the needle tend to be things like actually the Paris withdrawal and uh and when Inconvenient Truth came out in 2007, the first one, um, that when climate change is like unavoidable in public conversation and when the economy is doing well and people can kind of have space to think about climate change and to worry about it, then mm-hmm. you start to see a, a broader movement toward it. Um, but especially among like the very few remaining Americans who... Uh, kind of are not don't feel one way or another about it um but i think the the other thing i've been thinking about around what the trump administration has done with climate policy and and hurricane harvey is like the administration has repealed a ton of or or revoked a ton of flood uh regulations a a ton of like a ton of executive orders about sea level rise and executive orders about where the federal government can build in various floodplains and what kinds of flood buildings should be able to withstand, mm-hmm. um, which is all like, I think when you see the news go by, like a little boring, like it's just kind of yeah. like, you know, here's, here's but, more Obama rules that the Trump administration is yeah, getting but here's rid of. Here's where they have a real impact. Exactly. Exactly. And, and this is when, and, and it's events like these that are kind of why people why we have those rules in the first place and why the federal government normally tries to avoid um you know building buildings in places where there'll be there'll be floods and by the way like it's supposed to be that if you're a deficit hawk you care about or if you care about you know where the federal government spends money and wants it to spend more money more efficiently like federal exposure to this kind of risk is pretty big Oh, and yeah. so you're not, you know, you should be maybe trying to work that down. Well, particularly if you talk about floodplain insurance. Yeah. I mean, I, I've debated that for a long time. Why should we be 
paying people to rebuild homes where they shouldn't have built in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's insane, whether it's on the Atlantic Ocean coast, or on the Atlantic coast or Pacific coast, or in these like river riverbeds or reservoirs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or, or in, 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 in floodplains. Uh, Robinson Meyer with us, uh, climate change uh, staff writer for The Atlantic, among other uh, issues. And you know how to find him at theatlantic.com. I want to ask about a couple of other issues because you've written about um, the one of the things that uh, Donald Trump did as part of um, questioning, if not opposing, everything President Obama had accomplished yes. uh, is order a review of national monuments. Yes. Right. Including the newest national monument, which was the which was Bears Ears, Bears Ears, yeah, right, out right. in Utah. Uh, and um, uh, Secretary of Interior uh, Zinke uh, undertook that review. Uh, they reached their conclusion last week. What happened? Well, so we know it's it's funny. Zinke the submitted Everybody was his afraid report. that they were going to. Uh, you know, wipe out these monuments. wipe wipe out all twenty seven monuments, monuments exactly. Right. And and so Zinke has said, it's it's funny. So he submitted his review. We don't know. Excuse me. We don't know exactly what the review said yet. Um, we we have like things that have been gleaned from various press accounts and from things that clearly the Department of Interior told a congressperson and then that made its way to the local press there. So uh, we know that none of the twenty seven monuments will be destroyed. Will be will be completely. Okay. Just, uh, withdrawn. Will they be diminished in size? Yes, we know that some of them will be diminished in size. But we don't know what exactly those modifications are yet, right? Exactly. We don't know, like on, in terms of an acreage level. Now, we know that some of them will be significant. So it seems like Bears Ears will be a significant cut down of that monument. Um, and that's and that's the that's the probably the most controversial one that emerged from the Obama administration. Um, it was made at the behest of five uh, Native American tribes that are based in and around the Southwest, um, including some whose whose reservation basically runs up right to the current boundaries of Bears Ears, um, who all wanted this site to be protected from from looting, basically. Mm -hmm. um, and which, after there was a couple years where Congress tried to do something and where Utah representatives tried to do something, eventually they they asked the Obama administration to just step in and and. Uh, protect all of it. Um, so we know that, uh, but that's really controversial with local, uh, local Utah and non-native people. Yeah. Um, though not all of them by any means. Um, so uh, there'll be cuts there. Um, we know it seems like uh, there won't be cuts to the big site in Maine that Obama protected. Um, there better a, not be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's By the way, on Davey, Thursday, Davey's been lobbying that one pretty. So hard. one of my favorite breweries, Maine Maine Beer Company, up in Freeport, Maine, yeah. they brewed just a couple of months ago a new beer called Woods and Waters, mm. which is named after uh, the Woods and Waters National Monument. So on Thursday, when this news came out, obviously this wasn't a clear victory. We don't know what the modifications are. Right. I cracked open a bottle of Woods and Waters from oh, Maine Beer Company. Oh, right. Oh, that's excellent. It's a way to celebrate. Yes. Um, that's that's. Ugh. I was up in Vermont actually when the news came out, and I wanted to drive over just uh, to see yeah. the to 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 <laughs> admire to the open a bottle of woods and water. Exactly right, yeah. precisely. Um, yeah. So I mean, we d we know that woods and waters uh, will pr mostly still continue to exist. That any cuts that come will be will be relatively minor. Um, 
I, th- I think that's s- all we've heard about. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, the the there are environmental groups at this point like filing FOIAs and immediately suing about them to try to get try a to sense find. of what these plans are because it's not public yet. We just know that there is this report that exists somewhere in the White House system. Uh, Dakota Access Pipeline. Yes, yeah, What's the our old friend. Um, so in ju- back in June, the judge ruled basically that uh, the tribes were right that that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the environmental review had not been performed correctly on this pipeline um, and that uh, the government needed to, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers needed to go back and, and figure out certain aspects of how it would affect the tribe, specifically around fishing rights and um, and, and and water safety and stuff like that. Um they are now they're they're now back in court kind of figuring out this question that was very much left open in June and that we know they would be talking about back in June, which is should the pipeline close between uh before they finish the review and so recently the tribe filed a brief that said yes, the pipeline should close, and this idea that the pipeline's owners are saying that um to close the pipeline would irreparably or would really harm the natural gas industry in the United States uh, isn't serious. Like they they would say that no matter how long the pipeline was open, besides right. it hasn't been open very long. So the idea that suddenly this piece of infrastructure is critical to the natural gas infrastructure of the United States is really is is is, is not made in good faith. Um, but we don't have a ruling there yet. Just that they're now kind of back in court. So bottom line, Donald Trump's order that yeah we're going to build this pipeline. Not necessarily. It's not necessarily going to be the case. It's, Is that right? Yeah, I think. I think he he did succeed in kind of getting it out of getting it out of this review phase it was in. Yeah. Um, I think it's not necessarily going to be the case. You know, whether it operates forever. I think the pipeline that's really not going to be the case for is Keystone XL, which was the other pipeline he mm-hmm. he approved in that in that big early order. Um, Keystone XL, like it's not clear at all that thing's going to get built. Um, because there's not demand for it, uh, basically, like in the years since it was since it proposed, was first huh? proposed, right. like those companies have just gotten better at either sending it through other pipelines or sending it through trains, or you know, gas is so much cheaper now that they don't necessarily need to send that gas, which is more expensive than kind of other like fracking gases from the United States. Um, they don't need to ship it out. It doesn't make economic sense. So I'm not sure that that Keystone XL will get built. We, you know, we don't hear about Keystone XL uh, no. anymore. Right? <laughs> uh, to what extent is there any connection between Donald Trump's um, st- uh, his order on for re- review of the national monuments and his um, his policies regarding statues and <laughs> Confederates, particularly Confederate statues? Well, it's funny, um, you know. I, I think obviously I should note at the head they're quite different kinds yeah, of monuments. Yeah, you know, yes, one of right, them is this yeah. huge. One of them are these huge parks that have been protected right. over the past hundred years um, uh, at presidential designation, and the other ones are you know, yeah, statues, statues in, in parks that are much smaller, right? <laughs> or, or at traffic stops or something. Um, uh, I, but it, back when you know, I guess two weeks ago now mm-hmm. in ancient history. Um, the president tweeted certain things that were like, it's so sad to see our national, our national monuments get destroyed. This is history and culture. We can't lose. And I wrote something that was like, you know, Hey, by the way, you're actually lobbying to get rid of all these national monuments that represent a very different kind of culture. But I think a culture that 
a lot of Americans would say is even more important to kind of the conception of the United States. This being like the outdoors, the wilderness, mm-hmm. you know, all these uh, all these places of like untouched nature. But but also like in the case of um, uh, be- be- bears ears, bears ears uh, of um, you know, historic cultural artifacts and the history of the people who lived there and the. Exactly. That's right. I mean, the Bears Ears was founded, I mean, it was formed because uh, the tribes wanted protection for their culture, for all these artifacts Artifacts in the ground and and that are on the rocks there. Mm -hmm. And that's a different kind of culture that can't be replaced. Well, uh, looking for any consistency or any logic uh, from the Trump administration uh, is an impossible search, uh, I think, on any issue. Hey, Rob, great work. Thanks so much for coming in. Uh, covered a lot of territory. Appreciate yeah, exactly. It. Again, it's the Atlantic. Theatlantic.com. Dr. This Julianne Malveaux joins us Press next. Show. Hey, everybody. This is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now, do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press Show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing, if you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Hurricane Harvey has enough has had enough with Texas, moved on to Louisiana, but it ain't over in Texas yet. More rain, more flooding, more devastation. We'll keep you up to date on that. Hello, everybody. It is a Wednesday. Wednesday, August 30, this is the Bill Press Show, and you are part of it. Thanks so much for joining us. Wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours, we are there with you to bring you up to date on all the news of uh, the day, and not only uh, Hurricane Harvey, uh, but Hurricane Donald making his visit down there (laughs) yesterday where he uh, bragged about the size of the crowds, bragged about the size of the hurricane, Never said one word of, uh, expressed one word of empathy for the victims of the hurricane. Uh, all he wanted people to know was how this was the biggest hurricane ever, uh, for which he takes full credit, I guess. Uh, that's just one of the stories we'll be covering today, but it is good to have you with us. Uh, you know, uh, the, what we tell you, it is our job to tell you what's going on. It is your job to tell us what you think about it, what it all means to you, and do so by going on Twitter, uh, sending us your comments, at BP Show. And to help us through the news of the next hour and its many dimensions, our good friend, uh, Dr. Julianne Malvo, economist, author, commentator, all-around great person. Well, Hello, Dr. J. How are you this morning? I'm great. How are you doing? All right. Good to see you. Thanks you for coming in. Yeah. You ready to go? Absolutely. All right. Well, we will jump in to all the news of the day with you, with Dr. Julianne Malvo. But first, this is Jamie. Full Court Press. Stories of the day. Just a couple of other stories for you on this Wednesday morning. If you live right here in the beautiful city of Washington, D.C., you may have noticed, Uh especially around DuPont Circle, Uh a giant 15-foot-tall balloon of Donald Trump as a rat. That's right. (laughs) 
The Trump rat made its debut yesterday on the green of DuPont Circle. It's going to take a short hop just north of the White House. The creator of the Trump rat is a New York gallery owner named John Post Lee. Uh, he wanted to create the Trump rat uh, right after the president's victory in November. He said um, the timing was when his Ambien prescription ran out. So uh, John Post Lee has deployed this giant inflatable Trump rat over Washington, D.C. We should get uh, another couple of hours today of its jaunt right behind the White House. Uh, some conservatives are upset about this, saying it's too soon after Hurricane Harvey to deploy something like this. But it's it's a protest. Give me a break. There, you're allowed to do Does it. Does the rat have a cap on? Yeah, right. <laughs> no. USA. It does not have a giant USA hat on it. That's a very, very good question. Hey, bring that rat to Capitol Hill. We should, right? right? Yeah, yeah. Bring it back when members of Congress come bring back. So exactly, East, yeah. Bring it up to the Eastern Market. So Republicans can see <laughs> what exactly we think of our president. Uh, we'll stay in the D.C. area to North Bethesda, Maryland, a private elementary school, the Green Acres School, has told parents that their children cannot bring gear, T-shirts, hats, jerseys, bearing the Washington football team logo into school. Now, the Green Acres is an elementary school, so I don't know how many kids will be wearing, will be wanting to wear uh, Washington football team gear to campus. I would think a lot of them. Perhaps, yeah. Sadly. Perhaps. uh, What would be their parents? I mean, the kids didn't pick it out. Yeah, exactly. I mean, these uh, Neanderthal parents who don't seem to understand issue of, uh, you know, racial slurs. Just, and that's it. Uh, Neil M. Brown, he's the head of Green Acres School, said in a statement that that term, we won't say it here on air, is a racial slur, and the team's logo is racially demeaning. So uh, if you are a student at Green Acres School, you are not allowed to wear any Washington football team gear. And finally, uh, from restaurant business and Techonomic, they have ranked the top 20 best chain restaurants in America. Any guesses on what may be on the list? Five guys. Stuff. <laughs> Five guys. So this is sit down. Oh, sit uh, down. Oh, okay. Olive Garden comes in at number 16. Bonefish Grill at number 13. These are some that you may know. A lot of these I've never heard of. Long, Longfish, uh, Longhorn Steakhouse at eight. And number one is Texas Roadhouse. Never heard of it. You've been to a Texas Roadhouse? <laughs> no. I have Must no desire. Must be in Texas. That's right. <laughs> On TV and online, this is The Bill Press Show. Happy Wednesday, Wednesday, August 30. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. It is The Bill Press Show. Uh, We continue here with the news of the day and with all of you. Welcome you back or welcome you to the program. Uh, Great to see you today. We'll bring you up to date on all the news that's happening, whether it's here in Washington or in Texas or Louisiana, around the country, around the globe uh, and look forward to hearing from you what you think about it all. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. We're joining you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Also, of course, simulcast on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, looking good on TV this morning, and uh, out in the Chicago area, pardon me, on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. We are there with you every day and proud to be there. Uh, and joining us in studio is a friend of Bill for the entire hour, uh, Dr. Julianne Malveaux. And Julianne will be joined by uh, Alan Pike from Think Progress uh, Great. at the uh, at the half hour. Um, we wanted to 
uh, bring all of our family uh, up to date on one personal item here before we jump into the news. And, of course, we all consider you part of our family. We've been together a long time uh, on radio, on television, uh, every day. Uh, and uh, not just me, but um, Jamie Benson and Ray Rogers and our executive producer, Peter Ogburn. Uh, so a little bit of family news this morning we wanted you to know about. Uh, those of you who are regularly wa- listening or watching uh, may have noticed that Peter has not been here the last couple of days or today. Uh, we'd like to be able to tell you that he is on an extended summer vacation, enjoying the last few days of summer and having a lot of fun somewhere. Enjoying some bourbon, perhaps. Uh, some, perhaps. Uh, that is not the case, sadly. Um, Peter had a very serious uh, medical emergency over the weekend. Uh, he ended up having emergency open heart surgery on Sunday uh, here in Washington at one of our very best hospitals. Uh, but we hasten to tell you that uh, Peter is doing very, very well. Uh, he came through surgery with flying colors. Uh, he, his doctors uh, we've talked to, they are amazed at how well he's bouncing back, how well he's doing, 100% confident that he will make a full and total recovery. Uh, We just know that it's going to be uh, a long haul. It's going to be a long recovery. Um, Jamie Benson and I and uh, Paul Woodhall, our partner, business partner, have been at the hospital uh, every day. We were there yesterday afternoon, um, had a great visit with Peter, and the difference in 24 hours was just remarkable. It was night and day. Yesterday, he was uh, was his old... Peter Ogburn himself, full of jokes, full of fun, um, you know, apologize for not being here for work. We said, come on, you know, got more important things to take care of right now. But um, it was great to see him back in form. And he really cannot wait to get out of um, ICU, which he should today, and then to get out of the hospital a little bit of rehab and get back here to the uh, to the studio. So just don't give him any newspapers. Oh no! Yeah, I, mean, right. I mean, he's already <laughs> yeah. you know he's already hey, had a heart no. attack, and yeah. that person up it, there at sixteen hundred is likely to give him another one if he needs about it. So let's, it. let's keep him away from the news for he a while. Get him some novels and. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, we will uh, do our best to limp on without him. It's going to be tough. Uh, but uh, we know that some of you will want to send your best wishes to Peter. Uh, and again, know this. He's in the best possible hands. He's got the best possible care, one of the best hospitals in the country, uh, and surrounded by friends. And uh, his wife, Lucinda, who's not left his side, his sons, Gray and Magnus, and all of his friends there. And uh, we know some of you might want to send your good thoughts as well, the way to do so, just like you tweet us here on the program, at BP Show. Send us your comments for Peter at BP Show, and we will um, share them with him right. later in the day. Yeah, Bill, I want to add one more thing. You mentioned the great care at MedStar uh, here in Washington. That's the same hospital that treated Steve Scalise, mm-hmm. uh, the Republican congressman who was uh, shot during yeah. the GOP baseball practice in Virginia. Steve C- Scalise is very much on the mend. Obviously, Peter did not have as serious as a situation as Steve Scalise, but regardless, it's a great team over there at the hospital. So. Peter will be back sooner than later. Yeah. Uh, so send your good thoughts to Peter. Send your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Uh, we know uh, that uh, he will be back with us as soon as his doctors will allow it. And in fact, knowing Peter, he will be back before, before his, his doctor, doctors allow before it, his yeah. doctors uh, uh, allow it as well. Dr. Julia Mavo, how are you feeling? I'm good. All right. I'm good. I'm, I'm happy that I'm not in Houston and praying for my friends who are. Spent a little time. Um, 
yesterday trying to connect two people who um, one left on Friday and went yeah, to a Yeah, what do you hear down there? It's bad. It's really bad. Um, and the, the challenge is the people who do have passable roads can't necessarily get gas because some of the gas stations are underwater. Yeah. And then others... Um, yeah, they're short supply. So the gas lines, you know, a friend said that she was in line for like four hours um, just to get some gas. To but, fill. but where can they go? You say passable roads. Most of the roads are not passable. But some right? of them are. Some are. Some huh? are. But yeah. still, the you know, there there's some challenges. So, um, you know, one friend was out at a motel outside of Houston. She left early, but then she can't get gas to go anyplace else. So I'm trying to get another friend to come get her. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, those of us, you know, who have friends, I mean, you know, people who have friends are really well off as opposed to people who are isolated and don't have friends in other places. I've got one friend and she's 80 and she's basically stuck in her house. Blessedly, she has food, a little wine, um, <laughs> important, you know, she has and food, she, she has she water. she's on high enough ground? She's on high enough ground, but she says she can see the water rise. She's in Beaumont. So mm-hmm. she can see the water rising, and she's not opening her door. She's like, I'm just not opening my door. I think if I open my door, you know, flood comes in. But she's got a little dog, and she and the little dog have two cases of water and uh, plenty of dog food and plenty of people food. What are people that you talk to, this question about whether or not they should have evacuated Houston? It's always a toss-up. Yeah. It's really always you know, they a t- tried this once before. I think it was back. I forget Rita. Well, it was Hurricane right after, Rita. Yeah, after Katrina, it was Rita, yeah. and a lot of people got stuck on the highways. Sixty some died on the highways yes. because they dehydrated or whatever, couldn't get food, or I don't know exactly, or, yeah. or ran out of or gas. Ran, and yeah. So the I think so, the main you, you know you you I don't mean, none of this stuff if is you're ever evacuating right. four million people or more whatever. And, it and is. The, the weather predictions are so um, unpredictable. That, you know, if you were going to evacuate, you would have wanted to do it maybe like on Wednesday. But on Wednesday, we weren't thinking of the severity that there is now. So, um, Plus, you know, it's, it's easier said than done. I mean, I, I'm mixed on it, too. And I, I do think the mayor made the right decision because if you look at those, you just say, OK, let's all leave town again. Four million people in their cars. Exactly. Well, like I said, Hurricane Rita, a lot of people lost their lives. A lot of things happened that were just extremely unpleasant. Um <laughs> So you, it's six of one, half dozen of the other. And um, I think the mayor thought that they were going to be able to um, have an orderly rescue. And it seems to have been pretty orderly. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly right. the lessons from Katrina are learned in terms of the order that there is at the convention center mm-hmm. where, um, you know, it's not crazy as it's it was. It's not the Superdome. Super, exactly. And so, you know, there's plenty of security there are lots of volunteers. That's the other thing that's been so heartening, Bill, is the number of volunteers, the people who have just extended themselves, the people with the boats and all of that who are just helping people. Uh, you know, we come together. You know, it always kind of troubles me. It heartens me and troubles me. You know, we come together in times of crisis. Uh, we we don't think about race. We don't think about gender, any of that stuff. We just come together. But then as soon as the crisis is over, we receive yeah, back yeah. and receive yeah. rather back into our silos, and if we could have that kind of humanity more of the time, we wouldn't be, well, you know. No. Amen. Amen to that. And, you know, uh, that one story that I saw, there was this one shot, and all these people were standing up to their waist in water in this one street or this one area of Houston, and I'm thinking, what are they doing? And it turns out they were volunteers who were standing up to their waist in water waiting for 
the people who had boats who were rescuing people to get to them. And then they would pick up these people out of the boats and carry them to dry land, to yeah. dry land, or to waiting vehicles, which would take them like to the convention center. So they were like the relays from the boats. The boats couldn't get as far as they. And and these are all volunteers. They were just doing it. It's it, it, no, it has been it, it has incredible. been an amazing uh, affirmation of human spirit. I heard about a woman who um, <clears throat> didn't have a boat. She basically took blankets from her house and cut them up in quarters to give to people so they could dry off. Hmm. Um, just think, thinking, yeah. I've got to do something. I want to do something. What is it, you know, that I have to give? And so you, you, you really just do see some of that. And it's, right. you know, my sorority, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, we've got a huge Houston chapter. And um, people are helping each other. Stuff, folks are online. Uh, I need this. I've got that. That kind of thing. So, and, and other organizations, of course, are and doing so many it as people well. Who, es- who escaped with just the clothes on their back? And I saw from the convention center yesterday there was a mountain, literally a mountain of clothing yeah. that people had donated, right, to for for these to help these people who were in the convention center. You know, our, our American kids, spirit, with nothing, with our American spirit. Our this is, I mean, it truly for me tends to be the only time that I tend to feel patriotic. You know me, I'm you know, <laughs> baby panther from way back, so I don't tend to um, often. Do the flag thing, and but this when you when you really that that is the essence no. of the American spirit is of giving, yeah. of sharing, of coming through in a crisis, and you know you really you get that. Now in the uh, middle of all of that, yesterday in Texas shows up the president of the United States. What impressed him <laughs> down there? What did I'm he? <laughs> what did he talk about? Okay, he comes out of a meeting in Corpus Christi. And uh, he notices there are some people across the street. I mean, it's a crowd, curious crowd yeah. of onlookers. It's a motor presidential motorcade. It's not that often you see that right in your neighborhood. And so Donald Trump jumps up on a fire truck, grabs a microphone, and what does he talk about? The size of the crowd. Here, wait, thank, here just, he is. Thank you, everybody. What a crowd. What a turnout. What a crowd. What a turnout. And we love you. We love you. Like Thank you for Like it's an event. Com- like it's a lucky event. A campaign event. rally. Yeah, here you he know. is. Listen one more time. We love you. You are special. We're here to take care. It's going well. And I want to thank you for coming out. We're going to get you back and operating immediately. Yeah. That man it. gives me a headache. First of all, he and the trophy wife come down with these caps on like they're going to vaudeville. The only time... Me, myself, and I, and maybe you wear a cap, is we're going to go work in the sun or something. I mean, this is, you know, this is not our uh, usual attire, nor is it here. So what's this cap thing? Well, what, uh, what, what's up with the snakeskin stiletto heels? Well, you know, I was going to work, so I put a cap on, but on the other hand, I don't have any flats. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Can I mention one thing about the cap, by the way? I just saw this. This is from yesterday. Ali Velshi, MSNBC anchor. He says on Twitter, for three of the last four days, Donald Trump has worn caps while having pictures taken that his campaign website sells for $40. So those, this, that cap oh, you wore yesterday, you I can see. buy that. This is marketing oh. and merchandising. And contribute to his reelection. Mm. The other thing, though, I mean, as you said, when he jumped on the fire truck, as opposed to, which would have been totally empathetic, which President Obama would have done, President Bush one or two would have done, uh, President Clinton certainly would have done, is gone out and spread, uh, you know, press the flesh with the crowd. Shake I mean, you have hands. you yes. have enough right. uh, yeah. security there that you're, nothing bad is going to happen to you. 
sit down, put your arm around someone and hear her story because all these people have stories. But no, this limited uh, intelligence human being, um, and I'm editing myself. Yeah, I'll tell you something that may make you laugh. I slipped one day and called him the orange orangutan. And um, I'm, my staff tells me that I'm not supposed to do that. Okay. But anyway, I slipped and did it anyway. So a woman actually tracked me down to find my home address <gasps> to write me a letter to uh. tell me that she was a zoologist and that I should <laughs> never call the man orangutan again because orangutans were very nice animals. <laughs> <laughs> I well, mean, all right, all right. Well, I, in I, defense I, of orangutans, I'm glad you told me that because I might have made the same slip myself. But the one thing that we did not hear from Donald Trump yesterday, which is which is stunning, not one word of empathy, not one word about the victims, no, he, he, not one syllable about the people who lost their lives, lost their homes, lost their businesses, lost their loved ones, lost you their know. pets. Nothing. I'm Not the, one word. I'm gonna. I want to play for you a little clip. This is Ari Fleischer. Remember him, yeah. press secretary for George W. Bush, Republican. Ari Fleischer yesterday. I was with President Bush when he went to see the devastation caused by fires in uh, Missouri and Arizona and tornadoes in Missouri. <laughs> And there was something missing from what President Trump said. I hope he will say it later today. But that's the empathy for the su people who suffer. Uh, that, in my opinion, should have been the first thing he should have said. Absolutely. Was that his heart goes out to those people in Houston who are going through this and that the government is here. Never said a word. Not. Because, because he's Why was a, he there? Right? He's a myopic narcissist who doesn't think about other people. I mean, other people don't show up for him. This is all about him. You know, I mean, literally, this is all about him. There's so, like I said, if he got out and plus pressed the flesh, he could have heard some stories. I'm thinking, and you know, I was no Bush fan whatsoever, but I'm looking across at your pile of books, and you have one there yeah. that says Bush must go. Hey, bring him back if we had that as an oh, alternative. Oh my God! To you yeah. know, yeah, absolutely. But I've I'm, said but that I'm many times. But I'm remembering Katrina. Other than the Browning mistake, which was horrible, um, he did talk about individuals. Um, and, and what they lost. Yep. Even although I thought it was elitist to talk about, uh, Tr I guess Trent lo lost his home, you know, you have members of Congress who are there, Al Green, Sheila Jackson Lee, many others. Why not even reach out to them? I know your constituents. What was that? All right. Uh. <laughs> are you snoring on me, Jamie? <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it, the whole thing is just... This is, you know, I the consoler in chief thing, you know, I'm over that. But the notion of empathy with people. Well, it's an important role connection. for the president. I mean, it, it it's almost in a sense unfair. But when something really bad happens, we expect the president, right, to be the one, who, the consoler in chief almost. Or, well, as we, you pointed to out. To but emote. Bill Clinton, to, yeah, to emote, yeah. Bill Clinton did. Ronald Reagan did, right? Barack mm -hmm. Obama did. Donald Trump, no. He goes down there and, yeah, and brags it's all about, about himself. The, the crowd's so big. Well, yeah, yeah the crowd and, is big because these are people who lost something, idiot, and they're sitting across the street because they're waiting for help. They're not sitting there to pump your ego up. They're not sitting there uh, so that you could attract a large crowd. They're standing outside because it's a Tuesday and they can't go to work. Yeah. You know, that's why they're there. Right. And, you know, he could have talked about, you know, any number of policy things in the context of empathy, unemployment insurance. We're going to make sure that people get unemployment. But, you know, Bill, the, the, the policy piece here, too, really does remind us why 
you know, while these people want to starve the beast, why federal government is so important in situations like this. So we're looking at questions about infrastructure and mm-hmm. we're looking at questions about, um, you know, how, how this repair is going to take place. We're looking at people. I just read a piece in the Post about a young family, 20 girls, 25, the guy's 27. They just closed on a house that flooded. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. they just closed on the house and it's now flooded. And so, you know, they're going to have to work with their insurance company. And she was saying, you know, she just didn't know how they were going to be able to do, you know, start talking about we want to get our insurance adjusters on the ground right away. We want to get this on the ground right away. Our FEMA offices are going to be open. These are the kind of things that people want to hear from the president of the United States, not the crowd so big. Dr. Uh, Julianne Malveau here with us as a friend of Bill this hour. You can follow her on Twitter. At Dr. J, last word, right? Because I like to get the last word. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. J, last word. Um, I haven't seen you and haven't had a chance to talk to you since Charlottesville. What is your, what are we, what kind of a world are we living in when you have neo Nazis, skinheads, outright racist, white supremacists marching in Charlottesville and the President of the United States says, Calls them good people. Good people. Are they some, good people or nice people? They're very fine. Very, Very fine, fine people. people among them, right? Okay. And uh, and we are basically saying uh, respect what they have to say, you know, and they're part of the dialogue. I mean, it. How, no, it's really scary, Bill. And I think how, that how tough is it to say that the, that the KKK is just wrong? Well, he had, he he skirted that question during the campaign. Uh, he did. He never disavowed David Duke um, because I mean he's been winking and nodding at these people. I mean. If we tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, let's be clear. Donald Trump is not going to have poor white trash hanging with him at Mar-a-Lago. And forgive me for using that term, but that's what a lot of these people are. They're people who basically have been passed over. I was reading Hillbilly Elegy. I mean, these are the people who they've been passed over, and rather than blame their own shortcomings or infrastructure, structural issues, they want to blame black people. So black people took something from them, which is nonsense. But in any case, he's been winking and nodding at these people and treating black people or Jews, right? Of course. Oh, that's I forget. And yeah. and, uh, and the anti-Semitism we have not heard yeah, this kind no, of anti-Semitism. No. I mean, they were actually marching, chanting, "Jews will not replace us," and and Jews, and Jews have not, not replaced them. And you know, and, you, and, and to not get a condemnation from the president of the United States, you know, this kind of language when his daughter is married to a Jewish man, and she's Jewish herself when his grandchildren are Jewish. How do you justify that? But, Bill, you know, the, the part of the challenge is, you know, slavery is our nation's second original sin. The first original sin, of course, was our expropriation of land from Native people. But, and murdering. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, wiping them out, basically. But, you know, we have never come to grips with the damage that enslavement did. We've never come to grips with the fact that the South lost the Civil War, y'all, if you listen in South, y'all lost. You know, I, I mean, I mm-hmm. interviewed a comedian last week. She was so funny. And she said she didn't mind the Confederate flag as long as they understood that they were celebrating losing. <laughs> she went on to say, she says, it's like being a fan of the Cleveland Browns. <laughs> you know, you, know you, yeah. you, like to, you, you like to lose. But the fact is that they've never really come to grips with that. Mm-hmm. The very brief period of Reconstruction, less than... Uh, you know, two decades, really 12 years, um, never really you know, the quasi, the Jim Crow and all of that. We've never come to grips with that. And so in not coming to grips with that, we've allowed Southerners to spin myths. Now, 
if these statues had gone up in 1876, I might not be that mad. But the fact is that these statues went up in the early 19th and the early 20th century when black men were coming back from World War One and refused often to get off the sidewalk for white people. They had just gone and fought a war. Mm-hmm. They had mm-hmm. gone shoulder to shoulder. They'd been men and they weren't going to be treated like, you know, less. Yeah. And so. So these statues were monuments to white supremacy. Exactly. And then we the second round of the statues and the flags was in the middle of the civil rights movement. When uh, all those states changed their flags in the middle of the civil rights movement, when again, white supremacy, this was the dog whistle, y'all people get to the back of the bus, do this, do that, do the other. So as I said, I would not be so mad if, I, well, I would be, but that's just because it's me. But um, if, if these things had gone up at right immediately after the Civil War, but they did it. They went up to send a signal that the South will rise again. And the South as a euphemism, really, for white supremacy yeah. will, will rise again. But I'll tell you, the one of the fun, you know, you used to be able to drive down 95 and everything you saw was a tribute to the Confederacy. You drive down 95, going out of Washington, going down. At one time, I stopped at one of these stores. Why? Because I'm an idiot. But anyway, I stopped and I saw some Confederate flag toilet paper which I thought was the most appropriate use of the Confederate flag <laughs> that I had ever seen. And I was just hoping that it was appropriately soiled. I didn't purchase it, of course, but uh, <laughs> but it was really, I said, y'all love your flag so much you put it on the back of toilet paper. Uh, well, and again, back to, and Donald Trump has not backed down from these. No. From these remarks, right? He keeps saying, I condemned all violence on all. He's uh, such no, a liar. He no. He's such a liar. He said, he said there was violence on many sides, right? Well, and that, he did say basically there's a moral equivalency between the, the people, peaceful protesters there, mm-hmm. right? And, and, the, and they, you know, Jews will not replace us people. Right. right. Um, you know, last Tuesday, uh, that horrible campaign rally he had. See, the problem is that he can't get it right. He just can't get it right. I, the people around him keep telling him, behave yourself. Stick to the script. And the fool can't stick to the script. And so he says something appropriate, you know, one day, then the next day he's off the chain, then back to appropriate, then off the chain. And um, he knows better because he even said, they said, I can't mention his name. Why not go to Arizona and say, we're praying, we're all praying for John McCain? Why? Again, but it's the empathy thing. I mean, you don't have to agree with John McCain, but he's a dedicated, decades long public servant who, um, you know, took his vote and did his vote, but has brain cancer. So is it too much for you to get out of your, you know, sort of fluff box to, in, in his state, say something nice about him? Or no, not even remember, nice. Just... He, remember, he was a prisoner of war, and I don't like prisoners of war. Cause it, cause, cause, like, because they were I, taken prisoner. I don't like people who were taken captive. No, that's what he said during the campaign. Yeah, no, no he's, a, he's a, a special human being, and, and I mean that with all due derision. Um it's it, it really is frightening, but he he can't even tell the truth. I what I'll tell you though what was really funny, and CNN did it masterfully. He said there was a nobody was outside, so then they panned outside and you saw all the people outside. You, there, there are no protesters here. They panned, you saw it. This this arena is full. They panned and you saw the arena was not full. You know, it made it may have been two thirds full, but it was not full. So just his his capacity to tell the truth is limited. <laughs> the arena was not full and he fired, he's since fired the guy who organized that rally 
Why? He, he said because <laughs> the arena was not the full. The arena was not full. One of his longest tenured employees. And yet, when he goes out publicly, Trump will still mm-hmm. insist that it was a massive crowd. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, again, his relationship like he, with the truth is like a cheater's relationship with fidelity. <laughs> that is uh, incredibly accurate. There you go. Uh, Jamie, who's up next? Uh, I think it's Alan Pike. It, it was going to, well, you know, we'll see. You'll see. Uh, all right. We'll be back. Uh, quick break. We'll be back with Dr. Julian Malvo <laughs> here for the Bill Press Show. Really become very famous on television over the last couple of days, Mr. Long. I want to thank you all for, and Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. The FEMA director is working 24 Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And we're back here on the Bill Press Show this Wednesday, August 30. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. CNN reporting that uh, Hurricane Harvey has forced the shutdown of the nation's largest oil refinery right on the Texas-Louisiana border. Uh, so um, the rains may be uh, diminishing a little bit, but the danger is still there, and the flooding danger particularly is still there, uh, both in Texas and now Louisiana, where Harvey uh, never seen a storm like this. It did its job in Texas moved offshore, and then second landfall in Louisiana late last night. Dr. Julianne Malveaux here with us uh, as a friend of Bill for this entire hour. We are joined by Alan Pike from uh, Think Progress. Last time you were here was when you just came back from Charlottesville. That's right. That's right. Good to see you again, Bill. And you survived. Good to see you again, too. Um, Before we get back into the news of the day, we mentioned uh, to all of you at the top of the hour, um, the... uh, News about our good friend Peter Ogburn, now recovering from open heart emergency, open heart surgery on Sunday, uh, and invited those of you who want to send a word to uh, to Peter to do so uh, on Twitter at BP Show. Jamie, a couple more comments on Twitter. As I said, we always say now be nice, you know, because <laughs> we don't want. Intelligence snark, if it's going to be mean. Yeah, right. Uh, As I said, I will be printing out these tweets uh, with a picture of Alex Jones uh, surrounding (laughs) it for Peter because it's his favorite media personality. But here's some of more of the tweets. Alex is going to say this is fake. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Our friend Celeste Holmes, big Bernie gal, she says, just heard about what's happened. Best wishes for a full recovery and can't wait to hear your voice back on BP show. You're missed. Amen to that. D. Ray Luther says, Peter sending hugs and my best wishes for an uncomplicated recovery you are a fighter. I'll know, ba- I'll know you'll be back on your feet in no time. We and- want him to have an epic recovery. That's right. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and Patrick O'Dell says, Peter, you better be back in time to share more Thanksgiving recipes. For those of you longtime listeners of the show, you remember uh, around Thanksgiving time, Peter does, uh, when Peter hosts, he goes full Thanksgiving mode, gives you all the best tips on cooking your turkey and all the side dishes. So. Yeah, and he's a great chef, by the way. Too. He yeah. is, yeah. yeah. And I, no, I think really, he'll be back seriously. by then. So, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, we, as we said, uh, top of the hour, he will be back. We know uh, as soon as the doctors allow him, and knowing Peter, most likely before the doctors uh, allow him, we'll have somehow to keep that a secret. <laughs> and God, God bless those doctors. If anybody knows Peter, knows just how big of a heart we're talking about having to do emergency surgery on. Yeah. So they did. Yeah. They did a hell of a good job. It sounds they like. They did indeed. 
So, um, what is, uh, uh, Alan, what is the, one of the things that uh, Dr. Malvaux and I haven't gotten into yet is that um, the Trump administration trying to undo everything that President Obama did uh, while he was president, the Trump administration, the latest is uh, an executive order signed by the president last week that says, um, forget about the Pentagon not being able to sell excess military equipment to police departments. Yeah. Now you can sell them. Anything you want. Tanks, yeah. drones, Which really speaks bombers, to a country whatever. being, I know you address a question, Alan, but just, it, it's, it's a country being at war with itself. So in contrast to what we talked about in the last half hour about the American spirit around Harvey, I mean, how dare they sell the same stuff we use on foreign enemies to go into inner cities? And you saw that. You know, in Ferguson, we've seen it time and again. Yeah. Who the, you know what, well, needs tanks yeah. in the city well, it was after people. It was after Ferguson that this policy on the Obama administration right. uh, came about, right? right. So yeah. this is Jeff Sessions. How does he defend it? What is the, well, what, so what's the, the story? You've been reporting on this. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, they're making a little bit, uh, they're making a little bit of hay out of this. The, the change is relatively small in actual concrete policy terms. Now, I don't I don't want to minimize it. They're, they've they've reopened the door for local small town police departments to buy grenade launchers from the Department of Defense. This is this yeah, is this is facially grenade absurd. Launchers. Uh, this, is, this is flat out absurd. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, like actual literal grenade launchers. That, but all all the Obama uh, order did after months and months of study of the issue uh, as as you say following Ferguson um, was to restrict was to ban uh, the sale of the the resale of a, a couple of a short list of things grenade launchers uh, tracked armored vehicles so not not MRAPs not Humvees but but actual tanks um, yeah. and uh, high caliber ammunition and a couple of other uh, things that that no police department in the United States uh, needs that that are tools of war that are that are uh, weapons you would use to occupy and fight a counterinsurgency campaign uh, on foreign soil. So a, a, a modest list of things banned. And then everything else in this program that the Pentagon passes along uh, to local police departments, the sort of remaindered gear that they have, police departments could still request and receive. We're talking Kevlar vests, protective helmets, um, like I said, other kinds of vehicles that yeah. aren't actual treaded tanks. Uh, the, the, the idea was... When you request them, you have to give us a, a very specific, detailed plan for why you need them. And when you get them, uh, you then have to keep very close track of how they are actually used in the field. And that's because this stuff goes back way before Ferguson. Ferguson gave us all these signature images of heavily armored those vehicles in the street. Of the, of the, of the law enforcement sure. officers, the police yeah. rolling through Ferguson. It yeah. looked like Baghdad. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And that. Uh, yeah. And but what you know, number one, what do we expect from that? And number two, I'm, I'm trying to be respectful, so I'll just yeah, say that. Yeah. Um, and what do we expect from Sessions? I mean, this man is an avowed yeah. racist. He thinks little of black and brown people. He, he attempted to rescind, and you probably know this better than me, but rescind um, um, consent decrees around right. police brutality. Oh, yeah. No, I'm going to get yeah, so, into that so, next. So, so yeah. we know what Sessions is. Yeah. You yeah. know, um, Elizabeth Warren was not allowed to read what Coretta Scott King wrote in 1986 about him. And he has not evolved, but devolved. Yeah. Uh, he, I mean, he managed to keep it civil for his hearing, but ever since then, he has been horrible around, you know, basically race and, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and, and by the way, uh, that person in the White House has yet to concede that the Central Park Five were innocent. 
has yet to concede that the people, he took a $68,000 ad. I mean, I know that's chump change for him, for as it is for most chumps, but uh, I couldn't resist. Um, but, in, <laughs> but in any case, I mean, he has yet to concede that these people, that he convicted them in his brain and that he still operates from a premise like that. Yeah, and, and that that same uh, tendency to leap ahead to a presumption of guilt is, I think, really at the, the heart of what's wrong with this militarization of policing stuff. And this is this is the part that goes back way before 2014, way before Michael Brown was killed, um, before sort of white white Americans started to wake up to the realities of uh, dealing with police if you're not a white person in this country. Uh, we're talking 25, 30 years yeah. going back of this program. And what happens when you give a small-town police department uh, heavy weapons and tanks and military apparel. They've got to find some way to use them, right? You don't just let this stuff sit on your shelves. There's an imperative as a manager to make some uh, use case up for this stuff. So what you get, you combine that with a years-long uh, drug war that's, that's where, mm. where, again, we're positioning law enforcement as warriors, not as protectors of public safety, but as proactive warriors, what you get is years and years and years of very aggressive police tactics based often on shoddy information provided by jailhouse snitches who are just trying to uh, endear themselves. Or whatever, right. yeah. So you, you get pre-dawn, no-knock raids with guys in SWAT gear with heavy weapons busting into family homes in towns of 3,000, 25,000, 150,000 people, these small communities uh, where there just is not a routine police need for the kinds of like armored bearcats and things that you would need if, if somebody's barricaded themselves in their house and they've got an arsenal of weapons and they're you know well, committed to no, forcing an armed standoff, the then you need that stuff. But you can get it, if that happens in your small town of 30,000 people, you call the nearest big city and go, hey, some crazy guy has barricaded himself with 17 shotguns. Can you send us your SWAT team? Be here as quick as you can. That's going to work out just fine in most of these cases. If instead you have this equipment sitting on the shelf in this town of 30,000 people 365 days of the year. Out. They're going to roll it out. They're going to roll it out as often as they can. They're going to hear about some guy who might be selling a tiny little bit of meth out of his mom's house, and they're going to come rushing into mom's house and drop a flashbang in the in the crib of a 19-year-old baby, as happened in Georgia in 2014. This stuff, this stuff is insidious. It brings more violence into communities. Sessions and Trump are convinced that the way that you combat crime and protect public safety is to give cops anything and everything they think they want, up to and including, apparently, grenade launchers. And well, at a time when, as you said, woke white people, and there are a few, woke white people are looking at this and saying, let's step back. At a time right. when we have seen uh, how many African-American men and women uh, killed by police in, in ridiculous situations. Right. At a time, you know, there was a case with four in the morning they bust into these people's house. Four in the morning. Um, everybody yep. sleep, mm -hmm. you know, because that's what people do at four in the morning. Um, it was a wrong address. Mm. It was a wrong address. Mm. And, oh, yeah, I mean, there are no apologies. There are no, it's just, oh, well. Yeah, you yeah. You're, it's, it, but, they become agents of chaos when you cast police in that role. They become agents of chaos, and I think I don't think many people go into the police academy wanting to do that work. I think a lot of people join the military wanting to do that work, um, but but those are those are intended to be separate institutions with separate goals and separate and, tactics. And doesn't doesn't the, the presence of this equipment just uh, inflame further inflame tensions, particularly between the community and the police department? I, mean, I, I would assume so. I mean, I, I think that the got to. 
They're, oh, they're, it certainly does. And even more than that, and more importantly, with relationships between especially the African-American community, the level of distrust between the African-American community and uh, so-called law enforcement officers is extremely high. And it's only heightened. When, right. you, when you tell a story of when, about someone busting into a little old lady's house at four in the morning and everybody sleep, right. you know, that didn't happen next door to me. But it makes me, you know, Right. apprehensive. Mm-hmm. And so when um, I had something happened to me very recently, and well, anyway, long story short, but these police officers came to my front door. I wouldn't let them in. I told them, I, said, I am not letting three white men in my house, period. Either get an arrest warrant, you know, and one of the guys, he said, why are you so distrustful? I'm like, uh, duh. Do you, do you, did you <laughs> right. read the morning paper? Right. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And, I, and, and you talk to, you talk to uh, police, you talk to academic experts who research police. There is a genuine uh, sense of alarm and, and anger and indignation within the policing community about that exact distrust. And, and there's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done to get police officers and the people they are supposed to serve talking to one another again and, and addressing this stuff and, and, and well, facilitating some kind of understanding of why it is that you're so hostile toward us when we think we're just trying to do our jobs. We're getting the opposite of that for at least the next three years, and I'm worried the next... Right. Now, one step toward is, that, if I can just one step toward that is that, um, again, previous administration, the Justice Department directed the Justice Department to work with local police departments and and get together with the community and come up with look at uh, honestly racial profiling on yeah. the part of the police department mm-hmm. and come up with some new rules and some new guidelines. And several cities did this successfully. Yeah. And Jeff Sessions again, one of the first things he did was, oh, no, you don't have to do that anymore. And if you have adopted any program, I think like Baltimore was one example. Yep. Yeah, you yep. don't have to follow it; you can throw it away, right? I mean, yeah. The, the I... so these are these are court backed, court enforced agreements, um, and and that makes it sound like the, there's a judge sort of looming over your shoulder, like forcing you to do it every day. But the, yeah, as you say, the idea is uh, the DOJ investigates, uh, documents a pattern of uh, behavior and and rights abuses by a police department if there is one uh, and then you get everybody at the table and spend a long time hammering out okay what is a practical uh, enactable solution uh, remedy to these to these abuses look like and how can we get there and then you and then usually yeah. you spend several years doing that with if you need it a judge coming in and saying hang on you're not you're not meeting the goals here you've got to do x y and z and sessions has undone all of that sessions has has uh, backed off of those processes where they exist he he doesn't have really the authority to unilaterally just rip them up um, because again they but, they're housed within the federal court system. But he can starve them of resources. He can uh, see to it that it's certainly that not a priority. He's not for, sending his best people well, to it's not hearings. A priority about them. For this. It's not a priority. No. And and where there were. Uh, cities that were where the investigation had just finished and a consent decree had not been uh, entered into right. sessions has abandoned that effort entirely. So yesterday, uh, the <laughs> attorney general of Illinois, Lisa Madigan, filed her own lawsuit in federal court seeking court oversight of the Chicago Police Department. She is trying to get a consent decree basically without the Department of Justice's mm-hmm. help, which is mm-hmm. a large lift for a state uh, attorney general. Uh, there's no legal reason why she won't be able to do it. It remains but, to be seen if there will be any practical change in how effective it is. But, but yeah, the, 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 they, but they've the, left people to fend for themselves. Julia, these these the, 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 these efforts, right? Mm-hmm. In, in I mean, Chicago, Baltimore. I mean, extremely important in terms of reversing policy. Hopefully, reversing policies and practices. Of police departments, and these are cities where you have had 
extreme problems. I mean, yes. Freddie Gray, you know, I mean, we can talk about that. We can talk about uh, the young man, and I've forgotten his name, who was killed, and the Chicago police lied. Laquan McDonald, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so these are cases where we've had extreme cases. Where in, in Chicago, they found a pattern and practice of lying, uh, with police just, you know, lying about what went on. Part of the challenge is the thin blue line where they never tell on each other. So, and that's why the distrust is there when you talk about, yeah. you know, is that if they know they wrong, excuse my abonics, they know they wrong, <laughs> but they just will not right. behave right. that way. Lisa Madigan is really a shero. She is truly, you know, a, a progressive thought leader in terms of the work that she's doing. I've had the privilege of being in her company with Reverend Jackson and some others, and she really, really gets it. But the fact is that when you recede from these agreements and understanding that you have to see the movie, well, maybe you don't have to see it, but the movie Detroit raises a whole lot of Mm. issues about police brutality. Many of these northern police forces, and Oakland, California is an example, early on recruited from the South. So they recruited from places where you already had racists. Baltimore mm. was the case. Chicago is the case. They, and, and, I mean, I know this is 50 years out, but still, that legacy is there where the thought pattern is guilty until proven innocent. Um, if you are of color, then there is something wrong. I mean, the origins of the Black Panther Party were that people were following police officers and recording their interactions uh, with community people because people and, and just also be- and also and also standing by with shotguns in their hands uh, watching watching the cops I mean empty shotguns often, let's be yeah, clear yeah empty I, I, shotguns. I, I, and I'm, I, I say that not to condemn I think that I think that was a huge part of what made uh, the Panthers effective it's also a huge part of what got Ronald Reagan freaked out about guns enough to enact uh, oh, what yeah, was at the time the most sweeping gun control law in, in any northern state. But, you know, the Black Panther Party was a very effective organization in terms of raising a, this, this series of issues, as, as were many other organizations. Receding from the notion that police need to be monitored essentially tells entire communities that you have no rights. So you right. could take down the statue of Roger Taney in Baltimore if you want to. But basically, the Dred Scott decision is alive and well under Jeff Sessions, mm-hmm. that blacks have no mm-hmm. rights that whites are bound to respect. Mm-hmm. You, you mentioned Lisa Madigan and, and taking, taking this on. Uh, it's one more case where, under this administration, we see the responsibility and the leadership shifting to the states, like yeah. climate change. You know, Jerry Brown has said, and other governors too, but particularly Jerry Brown, we don't care what Donald Trump says about powers. We're not going to back off, right? We're going to continue. If he right. takes down the NASA satellite, we'll put up our own satellite, right? right. And if you look right. at Harvey, clearly uh, there is a case to be made for climate change. But if your brain is basically supplemented yeah. by plywood, then that's something <laughs> that can't yeah. get through it. Right. Yeah. But another case where in, 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 in the opioid crisis where Donald Trump still failing to declare it an emergency, but states are stepping up, and now states stepping up in this case as well. Yeah, a, a lot of this stuff is devolving from Washington to state houses, to governors, to, to mayors, state to, legislators, to mayors. Yeah, yeah it's it's uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting development. It's on the one hand, I find it encouraging that there are people who are committed enough to this or that principle um, to uh, maintain it, uh, maintain their their momentum on 
things that they're they've decided their communities care about, even if those those values aren't being reflected back to them in the in the national political conversation in the same way that they were for eight years. Uh, on the other hand, it's I think another indicator of the fraying and decaying of the the bonds that make this uh, that make this country a country and not just a a group of people standing around near each other um, mm-hmm. violently disagreeing. I, I I continue to be concerned for uh, to to be pretty convinced that the 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 rate we're going, the direction we're going, the republic will not survive as we under as we've understood it our whole lives will not survive uh, for more than another ten or fifteen years because you get you get there's this no. there's this uh, deep pulling I, apart. I'm, I'm I'm a little more near term. I'm wondering if we can survive the next three years. Yeah. Well, I but I I think that that's why the the I know a lot we of young people more than that, but uh, that's why a lot of young people, and I really admire you know, a lot of the young people's activism, are looking at 2018, are looking at 2020. I think that we can make a difference. I mean, I I thought I would have been a pessimist of the group, uh, but I would say that you know we can make a difference if we look at 2018. I think it is possible that the Dems can take the House. Now I'm much more pessimistic about the Senate because we have so many seats up that are Democratic. Uh, 22 or 23 to be exact, um, and only a few Republican seats. Right. But um, I, th- I think that the outrage that many are feeling about some of this may well turn into electoral victories. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm not a pest, I mean, I'm not optimistic, of course, about a state like Alabama. Uh, the question is, what kind of racist are you going to get? A nice one or <laughs> yeah, a not so uh, nice yeah, one? Right. But um, but I think that you know when. Of the man that that forty five goes after Claire McCaskill as an example, that gives her, I think or I hope, you know, some impetus and people to get out and vote and help her and do that kind of thing. So I I, I wouldn't say that the republic will fray, but I do think we've had you know other situations where we've just been in trouble. In the meantime, I have to interrupt because this you may is be a su- Bill Press show breaking news update. You may be surprised <laughs> to learn that uh, Donald Trump is actually. Uh, on Twitter this morning. No. Yes. no. Oh, wow. Shocking, shocking. That is really breaking news. <laughs> the president Jamie. six minutes ago tweeting, the U.S. has been talking to North Korea and paying them extortion money for 25 years. Talking is not the answer, exclamation point. Right. So what does this fool want to do? Go to war? And, 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 That's and, all he talks and, about. And, and, with who, and with whose children? You know, and with I mean... We can't afford a war, not only monetarily, but also strategically. Um, We haven't been paying. That man, I truly tell you, Bill, you know, I mean, I'm not speechless. I'm just trying to be Uh, uh, ladylike. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, you know, just it was what maybe four days ago uh, that Donald Trump said, I respect the fact that now North Korea respects us because they know how serious we are and they know we mean business. Since then, North Korea shot off another four missiles. He's in got res- he's in got response. he's just got an incredibly short attention span and short memory and and uh, very low ability to understand like fundamental core facts of any given case in which he gets himself involved. I the my understanding is that the reason we've been uh, relying on diplomacy or paying paying a ransom if you're 
if you're but amenable way, to Trump's framing, that, is that, that 20 million people in Seoul will die yeah. in minutes. If like, yeah. like, Yes, we know that as of right now, they can't reach the continental U.S. with uh, with nuclear weapons. They can kill tens of millions of people in a close ally of the United States, their direct uh, neighbor. Uh, I have to correct you. They can reach the continental United States now. I don't, did you? It's, I, I, I have seen people arguing it each way yeah. uh, okay. on, well, on, well, on whether they could actually... But pull so, it off. Certainly right. Depends they, on the, 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 the trajectory, trajectory yeah. if you will, of the missile. But this Well, pain, certainly they could wipe Guam out. Certainly they could make do and, major and, damage and, in and, Japan. And as Alan points out, you know, Seoul is 30 miles south of the, uh, yeah. of, of the yeah. whatever that line is called. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, to, yeah. to I mean, extend the, like, extortion money metaphor, like, this is a guy who watches way too many movies, and I say that as someone who watches too many movies myself. Um, but, like, the, the uh, this, framing this up as, you know, I my, my dad's been paying uh, paying these gangsters for 35 years, and I'm just sick and tired of it, and I'm going to stand up to <laughs> right. him for once. Like, but, okay, uh, how? I, 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 Without a bunch but of people I dying, get, how? I don't get how we're paying, maybe I'm dense here, paying ransom money to North Korea. We have the yeah, toughest sanctions against North Korea we we've have, ever we, had. They do, they we're do not receive, trading with them. Well, they do receive some aid. I believe, North I, Korea? They, well, they, they really? receive something from us. Um, and okay. I'm not really, I'm not um, sure the details, but they do receive I'm something. To learn, to, they do I receive something for, from us. I know and, they do from China. I didn't know they were from, from This is for tomorrow's show. I guess so. But again... The, the, Trump's response is just the bluster. Yeah. Um, n- nuclear option, right? It's on yeah. the table, right? Yeah, we go from zero to bomb, you know, without anything in between. He repudiates everything President Obama has said with with regard to. And North you know, Korea. the real risk is we got two nut jobs in charge of both countries. So can we just right? lock them both in a small room and let them know? Uh... <laughs> uh, Alan Pike, great to see you again. As always. Thinkprogress.org. Dr. Julia Melbo, thank you for coming in. Always a pleasure. We solved all, almost all the problems. I think we did. Have a great day, folks. This we'll look for you tomorrow. This is The Bill Press Show.